The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll be this evening. And uh, I've already had one opportunity to share uh, this portion of God's Word last uh, this past Sunday. Kaylee and I had the privilege to be up in Howell and to fill in for Pastor Terry there at Fellowship Bible Church in Howell, and it was a blessing to see the folks there, and uh, it's been a little while since I've seen most of them, and uh, well, actually, we were there in July, and so we, we saw some of them then, but uh, not all of them, and so we're thankful for that opportunity, and it was encouragement to spend that time with them, uh, but of course, it's encouraging to be back with you guys this evening, and so I... Uh, encourage you now to turn to Galatians chapter 5 if you're not already there. And this evening we'll be looking primarily at verses 16 through 21. Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 21. And uh, if you remember last time we were looking uh, primarily at verses 13 and 14 and 15. And uh, for sake of context, let me read that to you now before we uh, get into verse 16 and the following verses. Paul writes there in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. As we are well acquainted with now in our study of Galatians, uh, Paul is contrasting the idea of the flesh and the spirit. And uh, earlier on, we recognized and identified Paul's argument that the flesh cannot justify a person, whether that be by keeping the law, the feast, the festivals, or circumcision, or any of the such. The flesh cannot justify a person. And now Paul is also getting into the idea in the argument that uh, the flesh can neither or neither sanctify a person. It cannot sanctify a person. Galatians chapter 3, you, re- you might remember Paul's argument there. Paul writes in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Verse 2, he asks uh, a sort of rhetorical question here. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The answer, of course, Paul is looking for is the hearing of faith is the means by which uh, they obtain their salvation. Verse 3, then, are you so foolish? We're here in Galatians chapter 3 right now. Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, meaning having been born in the Spirit, having received the gospel uh, by saving faith, uh, not by the works of the law? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Of course, again, the rhetorical answer to this is, is no, you are not being made perfect or being sanctified by the flesh. If you've begun in the Spirit, meaning having been saved by, uh, by grace through faith, then you are also under uh, the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit to be sanctified, to be perfected. 
what the flesh cannot do, sanctify a person, the Spirit of God can do. That's what Galatians chapter 3, verse 3 is teaching us. So then, presupposing that the Galatians had initially exercised saving faith, Paul rebukes the Galatians for believing that keeping the law was a means of sanctification. The flesh alone, we know, unaided by the divine Spirit of God, will never be able to sanctify a person. Maybe you might think of Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Paul writes there, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good I do not find. Recognizing that in and of himself, in his flesh, uh, he knows that nothing good dwells in it. It only bears fruit of unrighteousness. And so therefore... He, is, he needs and requires the aided strength of the Spirit, uh, the new creation that is in him to, to perform God's will. And that's why now in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse number 16, Paul writes, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I say then, the beginning of verse 16, Paul, what Paul says there is a reference to the prior two verses specifically, which we just uh, read a moment ago. And the command to not use uh, the flesh as an op, or to not use liberty as an opportunity, opportunity for the flesh, we see that in verse 13. Paul writes, only do not use, an op- use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. This means that Christians are not to indulge in sinful practices that, that are desires of the flesh, then only to excuse and justify them based on his or her Christian freedom. So do not use liberty or freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't indulge in sinful practices and then use uh, Christian freedom as an excuse to indulge in these things. And so on this basis, that's why Paul then says, I say then, walk in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables the believer to make no provision for the flesh and to use Christian freedom to serve one another in love. That's what verses 13 and 14 of chapter 5 is talking about. Now, verses 16 through 21 deal with sanctification and how the Spirit of God enables us to resist the flesh and produce works of righteousness. Not works for righteousness, but works of of righteousness. So verses 16 through 18, we, we note that uh, Paul is talking about what it means to walk in the Spirit. And first we have to ask ourselves, uh, why do we walk in the Spirit? Well, it is a command, first and foremost. Paul is not making a suggestion here in verse, teen, verse 16 as if it is a recommendation or just a suggestion to walk in the Spirit. Uh, we know that it is an imperative, a command that is for every believer. Of course, following this command to walk in the Spirit implies that we have the Spirit of God within us. You cannot walk in the Spirit if you are not first indwelt by the Spirit of God, and that only takes place uh, when we are saved. To walk is a biblical metaphor for living uprightly in the faith. And in verse 16, it is written in the present tense, which indicates that Paul is expressing that walking in the Spirit is to be a continuous action. 
It's not a once and done thing, but it is a continuous action for the life of the believer or in the life of the believer. And the idea of walking or living uprightly in the faith is used in Scripture to describe uh, our new life in Christ and how it is to operate. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 tells believers that we are called to walk worthy of our calling. That is the duty of a believer. Philippians 1.27 says we are to walk worthy of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 is, tells us to walk in love. And Ephesians 5.8 tells us to walk as children of light. And then as well in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15, we are called to walk circumspectly. All of these commands relate to the sanctification of the believer and what we are called to do, how we are called to live uprightly in God and in our faith. Well, this begs the question, then, how do we walk in the Spirit? We know it's commanded of us to do so, but what does it mean? How do we walk in the Spirit? Well, simply stated, to walk in the Spirit is to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit to guide and assist you to actively live a holy life. That is what it means to walk in the Spirit. It is to depend upon Him for power to guide and assist you to live a holy life. Depending upon the Spirit means we acknowledge our need for His power, something that the Judaizers were not acknowledging. And we, and we depend upon this power to live holy and blameless before Christ. We ought to note that in order for the Christian to walk in the Spirit, as I said earlier, it implies that we have the Holy Spirit first in us. We must first be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But it also implies that the one who is being led by the Holy Spirit must be willing to go where the Spirit guides him and do what the Spirit calls him to do. We have to have a willing spirit in us. Of course, he is the divine agent in our sanctification. He is the one that helps us in that, but it also requires us to follow obediently. We are not passive participants in our sanctification. It requires full obedience. We know that from scripture a believer can grieve the Holy Spirit when he refuses to listen to his guidance and rather walk in the flesh and have presently unconfessed sin in his or her life that he is hiding. We know that we can walk away, that is, so to speak, for a time and not walk in the Spirit, but be consumed by the flesh, and therefore we must be active participants in walking and being uh, led by the Spirit. So then, assuming that we will be obedient to this command to walk in the Spirit, Paul points out that walking in the Spirit enables believers to resist the flesh. And we see this in verse 16. Look with me there again. Paul says, I, th- I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So why are we to walk in the Spirit? Well, the Spirit enables believers to resist the flesh. The same principle was later written in Romans by Paul when he writes in uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 13, Let us walk properly, as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. And then verse 14, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision 
for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So, Paul here in verse 16 is teaching us that if we walk in the Spirit, if we allow Him to guide and enable us uh, to, to do His good will, then we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he, of course, as verse 14 of Romans 13 says, will help us to, not, to make no provision for the flesh. But we must ask ourselves this question as well. What does the flesh mean? What is the flesh referring to here? Well, I believe the word flesh here uh, is describing the sinful human nature which still remains and resides within us. Paul uh, uses the word flesh to describe the spiritual nature of the unredeemed in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, where he writes, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were aroused by the law, which were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But I think here in verse 16, Paul is writing specifically to believers, since only they can walk in the Spirit. So then we know that flesh here is not referring simply to the unredeemed people, but rather, as I said a moment ago, to the sinful nature that still resides within us. That is, so to speak, the old man or the tendency for the sinful nature to surface within us. And though it doesn't have control over us any longer as believers, we still have a propensity to sin and to walk in the flesh. And so, though the believer's uh, sinful nature is mitigated by the work of the Spirit within us, we still will sin. We have evidence of that probably every day in our lives. So then, Paul is teaching us here in verse 16 that by walking in step with the Spirit, the believer can abstain from that propensity to sin, from that desires, from the desires of the flesh by walking in the Spirit. As Romans 8.5 says, those who live by the flesh set their minds on the desires of the flesh. But the believer, by the power of the Spirit, is capable of setting his mind on things above and abstaining from sinful activity. I hope we are, getting, begin, we are beginning to get a picture that the battle that takes place in the believer is one that is the lusts or the desires of the flesh against the desires of the spirit. That is the picture that is being painted here. And Paul expounds upon this in verse 17. Paul right there writes in verse 17 of Galatians chapter 5, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And, those, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Here in verse 17 and 18, we learn that the spirit and flesh that remains in the believer are at war with one another. The flesh that remains, that is that sinful nature within us, is at war with the spirit. And they are contrary to one another. The doing of verse 16 is not easy or automatic because that flesh is still actively at work within us trying to thwart our desires that should be focused upon Christ and upon the Spirit's direction. 
as we said a moment ago, the propensity for man to sin is present, and it is a conflict that is not totally eradicated at salvation. We still await our glorification, our total sanctification in which sin will no longer have a hold upon us whatsoever. But until that point, the flesh and the spirit are at war. Ultimately, however, we know that sin has no reign completely over a believer, whereas in an unbeliever it does. It is capable of of controlling the unbeliever. And the unbeliever is, and his ability to resist the desires of the flesh is practically impossible. They walk in the way of the, of the flesh and sins and sin and in the desires of the flesh because that is all they know how to do. As we said earlier, the believer, though, is not a passive, passive participant in this war. He must be actively opposing by the Spirit's power, the flesh. And as Romans chapter 13, verse 14 stated earlier, as I read it, one of the best ways to abstain from that flesh is to make no provision for it. We are to walk circumspectly, to not put ourselves in a situation that could potentially cause us to sin. If you find yourself by no choice of your own in a tempting situation, then we are to be like Joseph and flee. Flee from that situation and make no provision for it. Don't put your place yourself in a place where you know you will be tempted, where you are easy prey to sin and to the, the, the desires of the flesh, in areas in which you once struggled in before you were saved. Make no provision for that flesh. As a believer, consider the fact that the members of our body are not to be used for sinful activity. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, teach us that. As Paul there writes to the Colossians, Therefore put to death your members which are on, earth, on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But of course, that's not our calling anymore. We no longer are sons of disobedience, and therefore we are not to act as such and to make no provision for the flesh. The nature of a genuine believer is to be set apart, pure, and pleasing in the eyes of God. And this begins when Christ redeemed us, at salvation, and it is to continue on through our Christian life. That should be the attitude and the mindset of a believer as they walk in faith. We have been purified by Christ, and we are not to go back and defile ourselves again in the things which we once practiced, but as we noted earlier, we are to walk worthy of our calling by which we were called. Now, as you look further on in verse uh, 18, Paul then writes, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. To be led by the Spirit means that you are a born-again believer. And I believe that you are constantly being led by the Spirit, though at times we as sinners tend to, if we could say, get out of line with the Spirit's leading, and that requires then our repentance and our submission to His leading. 
That is the sign of a true believer. Though they may get out of line for a moment, they ultimately recognize that they have sinned and that they have done what is unpleasing to the Lord and will repent of their sin and continue to be led by the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. The amazing thing about life in the Spirit is that we do not need the law to resist what is sinful or to do what is righteous. We have the Spirit of God and the Word of God to direct us into righteousness and to help in our sanctification. MacArthur notes on this passage and similarly in Galatians chapter 3 that the flesh in attempts to do the law is unable to sanctify a person. And he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. To live under the law is to live by the flesh, even when one is not actually committing sin, because that is the only avenue available to the legalist. The flesh is powerless to fulfill the law, and the law is powerless to conquer the flesh. Only the Spirit of God at work in a believer is capable of resisting the flesh. The Holy Spirit immediately begins to divinely lead in a believer's life the moment he is saved. And he does this not only to help us and to lead us in, to resist the flesh, but he also does other things as well, positive things. He helps lead the believer in the way of freedom, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and in holiness, chapter 5, verse 16, in truth, John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, in fruitfulness, verses 22 and 23 of chapter 5, which we'll look at next time. Ephesians chapter 2, 18, he helps us uh, walk and, and have access to God in prayer. Romans eight sixteen, he gives us assurance of our salvation. Acts 1, 8, he helps us in witnessing. In Ephesians chapter 5, 18 through 21, he gives us a submissive joy. And so that is what... The, the Holy Spirit enables us to do, and that is what it, mean, it means to be led by the Spirit. Now, as we continue on, we see the contrast of what it means to walk in the Spirit versus what it means to walk in the flesh. These two are juxtaposed to one another. They are set against one another, and we see this in verses 19 through 21, where Paul writes, Now the works of the flesh are evident which are idolatry, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Believers who are increasing in spiritual maturity as a result of the Spirit's work and our obedience to his leading will not walk in the works of the flesh, but will rather walk in the Spirit. However, the works of the flesh are those things which do not please God, nor do those who do them please God either. Paul begins here with a list of works of the flesh, which are evidences of an unredeemed life. 
They are evidences of an unsaved person who has not experienced the work of God in them and who are not walking in the Spirit because they do not have the Spirit of God within them. Now, this, of course, is not an exhaustive list. Paul there says, excuse me, Paul writes there in verse 21, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And then in verse, later in verse uh, 21, he says, those who practice such things. So we know here that Paul is not talking about an exhaustive list of things. Of course, uh, just a small portion here. In other places, Paul writes more about the, the, the works of the flesh. Just as we know that the fruit of the Spirit is not, of course, limited to these things as well. There is more which we do, which are evidences of the Spirit of God within us. But here Paul writes a few of them, that is the works of the flesh in verses 19 through 21. And I just want to look at these and think about them just for a moment and what they uh, really are in describing them. As I said a moment ago, their actions, uh, by doing these things, their actions and behaviors are evidencing the absence of God's spirit in them. Those who practice idolatry, that is, Infidelity in marriage, sexual immorality within a marriage, or fornication, which is any kind of sexual immorality, pornography, uncleanness, any impurity that defiles a person from within, lewdness is obscene or vulgar or inappropriate behavior, idolatry, that is, that is to say worshiping man-made images, whatever the sort they may be. Sorcery, witchcraft, black magic, the occult, the Ouija board, any of those things which uh, pertain to satanic works. Hatred, which is evil intentions, whether said or unsaid. Contentions would be strife or discord or anything leading to destruction. Paul talks about that, or remember Paul talked about that in verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed, or literally that can be translated as destroyed by one another. But going on in our list here in in verses 19 through 21, Paul also mentions jealousies that could be covetousness or greed, outbursts of wrath, which is anger, rage, with no justification at all. We can be, of course, we know, uh, have a righteous anger against sin and the such, and we know that God himself does, but this is, has to do with outbursts of wrath or anger with no justification for such anger. Then Paul writes as well, um, dissensions, heresies, envy, I think uh, the NS, NASB has factions, and perhaps that's a better translation in this portion here, which would have to do with disagreements or lasting grudges or feuds that continue on. And then Paul writes drunkenness and revelries as well. And this would mean to be controlled by any intoxicating drink, which of course then leads to crude behavior fights and and 
inappropriate behavior as well. All of these things, Paul writes, are evidences of the work of the flesh in a person. And he says about these things in verse 21, um, of which I tell you beforehand, beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul has evidently warned him about the works of the flesh and those things which are not evidences of the Spirit of God at, at work in a person, and that those who practice them, those who, who do have a habit of walking in this pattern, are evidencing that they are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Of course, some of us may have been saved out of these works which we participated in before God called us to salvation. And Paul talks about this very fact in, to the Corinthians in chapter 6, verse 11. He says, And such were some of you, having listed similar works of the flesh just prior to this. But he says about them, But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The difference is that, the, is that the believer has been washed. He has been cleansed from such sinful behavior. He is being sanctified by the Spirit and now is living a life that recognizes and acknowledges that his sinful self, his old man, has been crucified with Christ. It has been put to death, as Romans chapter 6 talks about. And therefore, we are not to behave and to practice such things. But of course, those who are without the Spirit will do this. They will practice these things. And as Paul warns here in verse 21, they are those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. To not inherit the kingdom of God means that they have not inherited eternal life with God because they have not exercised saving faith and trust in Christ. To inherit the kingdom of God means to inherit salvation and a future with him with Christ and with the Father. And their practices, which are listed in verses 19 through 21, indicate that they are truly unredeemed. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, talks about this idea of not inheriting the kingdom of God. Jesus says there, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Paul there writes, do, do you not know that the unrighteous, that is, the unredeemed, the unsaved, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Or Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, uh, where it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Those who practice lawlessness. The same kind of 
lawlessness that we see here in verses 19 through 21, the works of the flesh, that is. To go on practicing such unrighteous behavior indicates in, it, in itself that you are without Christ, without the power of the Holy Spirit, and therefore inable, inable and incapable of walking in the Spirit and having a future hope of eternal life. To not inherit the kingdom of God means that you will stand before God and he will judge you by your works. And that is a very scary situation to be in because as Revelation 20 declares and teaches us, no man will pass that judgment. So that in summary, walking in the Spirit, as we saw, implies that you are indwelt by the Spirit. Without His Spirit within you, you cannot walk in the Spirit. You cannot resist this, this flesh and its desires. And as we noted earlier, walking in the Spirit then implies a continuous action. It implies a continuous action, a continuous active participation in walking in the Spirit. It requires active obedience, and it is commanded of every believer. Of course, we may downslide or get out of line for a moment. That is true of all of us, but in the end, we know that it is the desire of Christ to behave righteously and to walk holy. And we can only do so by the Spirit's power. Unfortunately, as we noted, the flesh is not completely eradicated at salvation, but its effects on our life are mitigated and should continually be less and less apparent. We do have a propensity to sin still, but it's the desires of the flesh should look dimmer and unappealing, more and more so as we continue to mature and grow in in our walk with Christ. And remember, of course, we are not to be like the Judaizers who relied, relied upon their human effort to sanctify themselves by keeping the law. We cannot do that. It is not, we are not capable in ourselves. Paul noted that, that his flesh wills to do nothing good. Rather, it is by the power of the Spirit of God within us to walk according to, to the will of God in his perfect will. To love and serve one another, as verses 13 through 15 says, and thus in doing so we will fulfill the law. Let's pray this evening as we close and consider what we've learned this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the time in your word. Lord, I pray that we would recognize our need for the Spirit's power within us. Lord, I pray that we would recognize our, our calling, that is our command, to walk in the Spirit. Lord, that means to rest and to depend upon Him. Lord, and the truth which He reveals in our lives through Your Word, to assist us in our sanctification. Lord, to not rely upon ourselves in any kind of legalistic manner, thinking that we can, uh, we can obtain justification or sanctification by ourselves, but Lord, that we would continually walk in the Spirit knowing that we are led by Him, and in doing so we can resist the flesh that remains within us and not practice uh, the things which we formerly did, which defined us as unbelievers and and uh, still define those who are without Christ, Lord. 
We pray that uh, we would examine ourselves, Lord, to consider whether we are those who practice such lawlessness as verses 19 through 21 described, or if we are those who are truly being led by the Spirit. Lord, guide us now as we go this evening, and may we be a testimony and a light to others. Uh, Lord, we pray for those who are jo- joined us over the phone call or online that you would uh, provide them with opportunities to pray as well for these requests which have been mentioned this evening, and that uh, you would keep us safe on our way home, and uh, that your name would be upon our lips in all that we do. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.